Um, this morning is, is kind of a continuation of uh, last week, and it was actually supposed to take place a few weeks ago um, in the month of March, because March has become known as our missions month. And um, sometimes we forget what missions is. You know, for some of us, missions has become a check we write. For some of us, missions is about um, people who live in other countries. Uh, but missions, biblical missions, is us, as soon as we walk out that door, taking the gospel from that doorway all around the world and back in that doorway. You know what I mean? So everything we do is missions. How I live my life is missions. And we, we have to recapture that concept, that moment. And as, so as, as a way to do that, what we do in March is we take part of that missions month and we focus on uh, our body and our call to missions. We present missionaries that we support in places in South Dakota, in places in the United States, in places around the world, uh, because that's an arm of missions. But missions is way much more than that. And uh, it's called missional living. We have to see it. We have to understand it. Uh, every one of us in this room needs to understand we are missionaries. Okay, three of you are ready. All of us in this room, we need to understand that, and we don't. I mean, we say we do, but we, we get so busy living our lives, we forget that we're not here to make money. We're not here to have a nice life. We're not here to arrive safely at our death. We are here to be a part of building God's kingdom everywhere we put our feet. And even in places where we don't put our feet, through our prayers and through our giving. And that's what this has been all about. And so as we look at this idea of vision and Vision Sunday and refocusing on that, that's what we do uh, during these months. And last week, we started a conversation about the church, the body of Christ. And I called it In Search of the Church. And we talked about understanding the difference between what's cultural in the culture of church and what's actually biblical. Okay, because if something is biblical, we have to keep it. If something is just cultural or preference for us, it doesn't have to stay. In fact, we need to learn to adapt to our culture in a biblical way. The church today uh, is not really equipped, pastors today are not really equipped to reach the culture that we live in. We're still trying to, to reach a culture we used to live in and we have no idea the culture we currently live in and how to reach them. Missionaries go to language school. They, they study the culture of the place that they're going to. And most of us, have we don't even have non-Christian friends. So we have no idea how to adapt ourselves in a way to reach that culture and process things in, in a different way. And so that's the conversation we started last week. What's the difference between what is preferential, what's non-negotiable? And in that, we gave the challenge, the live dead challenge, that uh, missionaries around the world going into 
countries and maybe giving up their lives for the gospel. We've been called to give up our lives for the gospel and maybe not physically, but maybe in our preferences, maybe in our dreams and our desires. And maybe you have a dream of where you wanna go to school and what you wanna do and maybe who you wanna marry, but maybe God's plan for you is different than that. And he asks you in the same way that he asked Abraham to lay his son on an altar, maybe he asks us to lay one of our dreams on the altar so that he can do so much more through us when that thing dies. And we have to trust that that's what he wants. And so we have these visual aids over here. We had to move them a little bit because our worship team was a little bit bigger today. But we started looking at the body and uh, we talked about this one on the, the, the left, my left, your right, last week and all of our names on there. And, and uh, what if we treated our physical bodies the way we treat the body of Christ, this church? Because the scripture talks about the church being a body very similar to that. And what if the concern I had for the body or how I took care of my body was the same way that we take care of church or where, the way we have concern for one another? You know, what if only on Sunday I worried about those other parts? What if only for an hour on Sunday I worried about certain parts of my body? What if I only washed it one day a week? What if I paid no attention to it at all? What if there was an infection in one part of my body, but I really didn't want to have to deal with that, so I just let it go? And my leg just continued to swell and swell and swell. I mean, at what point would I say, okay, I really should deal with this? But so many of us, there's an infection in the body, but, well, we don't really want to deal with that. We, we don't really want to, it, it's going to be costly and hard to find a way to deal with that infection. Or it's going to cost me my time, my energy, and I really don't, I don't want to give that. And some of us, we, we treat church like, well, I don't need to be a part of a local body of, of believers. I don't need to be a part of a church and, and what we're saying in essence is maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a finger and if I cut my finger off today and I laid it right there, how lively would that thing be? It wouldn't. It could never function. In fact, it would die. But too many of us in our culture think, well, you know, church isn't what it's supposed to and, and so we just cut ourselves off from it thinking we know better. But the God who revealed himself re revealed himself through community, through connection with other people. And we like to think that I can just have a relationship with God and that's all that matters. But God ties our relationship with him to our relationships on earth and says, your relationship with me is only as strong as these. And so if, you're, if you've got problems with, with people, you've got problems with me. And most of it deals with our own selfishness as we kind of talked through some of that last week. And so that's where we started this conversation and we're gonna keep going through that conversation and how we connect to the head and how we as individuals connect to the head and how we as a body connect to our head and how we connect with one another. And you know, how do we, you know, how do we, um, how important is coming to church? You know, it used to be when I was a boy, I remember the, the pastor preaching and making you feel so guilty if you didn't come to church one Sunday. You know, you were like a sinner and you, the next Sunday you had to come in like this because you just felt so bad. And, um, but is there a way to stay connected even when I miss a service? 
or when I miss a week or two weeks or, you know, my job has me going here or my, my, my responsibilities are here or I get sick or the snowstorm or, and, you know, and if we miss a couple weeks, how do we stay connected even when we're not here? And maybe my priority of attending needs to change. Maybe it's way too easy for me to say, well, maybe I should just skip today. And so there's got to be a balance in this, when do I need to be there? When do I need to not be there? When do I need to be connected? And it's not my job to make you feel guilty for something, but we have got to take a step back and say, what does the scripture call us to do? How do we get connected? And what, what have we, what's he asking us to do? And we're going to talk through that and uh, go through some of that today. And uh, what we're calling today is, what is going on at here on first? What is going on here on first? Now, I realize you could say that phrase in a lot of different ways. I mean, you could be like, what is going on at here on first? I mean, that kind of has a negative connotation. I don't want to look at it in a negative connotation. You know, I'm, I'm guessing if you asked people in this community, hey, have you ever heard of here on first? I'm guessing some of them would say, no, where's that? Or some of them might give you an earful of what they've heard about here on first. Here's the thing, you and I, it's not our job to defend what people think about us, but you and I really are the most influential people in this community as to what people think about us. What are we saying about our body? What are we doing to show others that this body is a place where God has called us and he's engaged us and what's our vision to now engage our community and bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And so, you know, we can sit in here and we can be like, well, people are giving us a bad name or, you know, they just think we're like tongue talkers and snake carriers and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, don't worry about the bad things. You just present the good things. You tell people who we are. You present who we are. But here's the thing. If you go into work and you badmouth everything that happened this weekend at our church, what are they thinking? Or worse, you just live your life and you don't even mention Jesus to anyone. How will they know unless someone tell them? And so for today, here's, here's our goal. We've got a couple goals, and I want you to know so that you can maybe have a mental checklist so you can maybe not be worried if you think we're gonna go long or something, but I wanna explain some of what I feel are the, the, the things that we do as a body that we, we need to do. And I'm gonna explain, maybe for some of you that are new, why we do things the way we do them. Then we're gonna celebrate some of the things God has done this last year in some of the parts of our body. And then we're gonna share just a little bit of where I feel like God is leading us in our future. And so this is all stuff that we used to do as a part of our annual business meeting, but uh, we're going to do it in this service and we're going to celebrate it together. And then for our annual meeting later on this afternoon, we basically have an election and a financial report to go to, and then you can go home for the day. And so that'll be even shorter. And everyone said, amen. And so the, the first thing I want to I talk about is some of the stuff that's in your program. This, this thing right in front of you. In your program, it talks about a couple things that we do in the, the body of Christ and, and as far as a worship service. And I want to explain some of those things to you. But uh, you notice on the, the table here in front of me, there are three baskets. 
We believe that the scripture calls us to give to the body. We believe that there are, are, are things in the, in the Bible that show us this and teach us this. And maybe you've never done it where you bring it to the front. But the reason we do it this way um, is because we want it to be an act of worship. Because the Bible calls giving an act of worship. And so, I, you know, you can walk up here and drop stuff in this basket and it's not an act of worship. But we're, our hope is by causing us to do something different it makes us think about it as an act of worship we even fill out our connect cards and we put those in these baskets because in essence what we're saying is Lord I'm the offering today too yeah I'm going to write a check but I'm going to give myself in this basket and whatever you need whatever you want I am surrendered to you and so it's in essence doing that but in the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 it says remember this A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. I mean, some of it is how much we're able to give. I mean, you can't maybe give more than you're able. I know we've talked about the way God blesses and and does, but I mean, you have to look at your budget and say, okay, I wanna give, so here's what I'm gonna be able to give. But notice what he also says. If you, if you sow sparingly, meaning if you just give a little, you reap sparingly. But if you give more, somehow you reap more. Now that doesn't mean if I give a dollar, God's gonna give me two or give me a dollar. That's not what it's about. You reap a life of generosity. You reap a life of blessing. And it has not just to do with money. It's about other areas of our lives. Okay? And so... You know, when you sit down and say, where could I give? Maybe where could I sacrifice? Because I want to be able to do this more. And the scripture, a chapter before this, in chapter 8, where Paul is again talking to this church, he says, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. He says, you excel in faith, you excel in gifted speakers, you excel in knowledge, you excel in enthusiasm, you excel in love. You should also learn to grow in this act of giving. If you want to learn to be able to be more generous and give more, you actually just have to start doing it. And you grow in it the same way you grow in every other area. And so we believe that as as we put these offering baskets here, we're giving you the opportunity to respond to what God has done or said to you. We believe the scripture teaches in tithing. Tithing is just a Greek word that means tenth. You give a tenth of your income to the body of Christ that God has put you in to help meet the needs of that body. Whether that's taking care of this building and putting heat in this room or whether that's paying our our staff that God has given to us and brought here or whether that's uh, doing some outreach or some ministry that's doing some discipleship. And, And here's the thing. When I look at this, I think, man, God is so smart because I believe If every person in the body of Christ across the United States would actually just give a tenth of their income to the local church they attended and they would do that regularly without no strings attached, not as missions, not as debt reduction, but just as a general offering. If we would do that, the needs of the church would be met. People say, why do we take all these special offerings? Well, because people don't tithe. And I'm not, I mean, I know that God takes us on a journey. And I've talked with people over the years that say, man, God wants me, I feel like God wants me to tithe, but I don't know how I'm gonna make that happen. Well, here's the thing, you're not gonna make it happen. You're gonna trust God and he, you're gonna do it and then he's gonna help it happen. 
Now that may mean you have to go without cable and all of those necessities of life, but he'll help you make it happen if you trust him. And beyond that, we learn to give beyond that tithing process. Another area that's in your program is the area of prayer. Um, we believe prayer has to be a must in the body of Christ. We believe that we should pray together in a service like this. We believe we should pray for one another. We believe that you come with needs and the scripture teaches us in James chapter five, if you're sick, you should call the elders of the church to come and pray for you. So here we are right here in the front row. Come on, come to us and we'll pray for you. You say, well, but I was prayed for last week. But it just says if you're sick, it doesn't say if you're sick and you haven't been prayed for yet. It says if you're sick, get prayed for. And so we make that available to you. We want you to come. We want to pray for you. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. We're not going to do, do crazy stuff. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe God to heal you, to restore you, to meet you where you are. And not just for healing. For any need that you have, we're available. We also meet every Tuesday night for what we call House of Prayer. Because in the scripture, when Jesus talked about the church, he said um, that you should, that my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of worship, not a house of preaching, not a house of children's ministry, not a house of evangelism, not a house of discipleship, but a house of prayer. And the only way our church will ever be effective and growing is if we stay connected to the head. And the only way we stay connected to the head is to talk to him. Amen. We have to be in prayer. If you don't attend Tuesday night prayer meetings, start. Maybe you can't come every week. Come when you can. Make that a priority because that connects us to the head so you and I get to hear the head together and we can understand what he wants for us as a body. I believe if the body of Christ would learn, here again, here's my hypotheticals. If we would actually learn to pray together I don't think we'd have near as many conflicts and flights as we used to. But we don't pray together. You know the old saying, if the family that prays together stays together, that's true. Prayer is that important. It is that vital. And so we do it. Now, about prayer, it's not just for uh, the, the paid staff. It's not just for the elders, okay? The body of Christ is to pray for one another. Okay, in, in the Gospels, Jesus sent out 72 people, not just the 12 apostles, he sent out 72, and he said, I want you to go out, I want you to preach the gospel, I want you to heal the sick, I want you to raise the dead, I want you to cast out demons. Okay, so y'all are 72. So you can pray one for another. So when we're sitting here in a worship service and you feel like the Holy Spirit comes, and I'm, I'm kind of going into number three already, but you feel like the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, hey, you should go over and pray for so-and-so or ask him if you can pray for him. Do it. You don't have to ask permission. You have to ask them for permission. You go over and you say, hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to pray for you. Is there anything I could pray for you about? Would that be okay? They'll either say yes or they'll say no. If they say no, go back to your seat. If they say yes, pray for them. I mean, how many things do not happen because we do not listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying? Because we're afraid or because we're not sure. No one's gonna rebuke you for trying 
Now, if you do something that maybe needs some correction, we'll correct you and we'll do it gently. We'll do it one-on-one. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. I'm not gonna, after the worship time, say, I'd like to call you up here and stand here and scold you in front of, I mean, we'll correct things, but it's really hard to get that thing of prayer wrong. But we have got to be willing to do this because if we're not gonna do it here, we're not gonna do it out there. I mean, if you're at, at the store this week and you feel like the Holy Spirit tells you to go to a stranger and pray for them, if you won't do it on Sunday morning in a worship service, how are you gonna have the courage to do it out there? And if you make a mistake out there, they may not be as gracious as we will be in this room. And so that's why we call people to prayer. And that's what being a Pentecostal body is. That's the third thing in your program. And the, the idea of the spiritual things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, and I don't have time to go through everything that's in this list, but yes, we believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and yes, we believe in the evidence of speaking in tongues that comes with that, but I want you to understand when, when Paul says, uh, I want you to understand these spiritual abilities, these special abilities that come to us by the Holy Spirit, there's not one of us in this room that has the gift of healing. There's not one of us in this room that has the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the way that we think of having a gift. Maybe you have a teaching gift. Maybe you have a serving gift. Maybe you have a gift of administration. But what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is not that you possess these things, but what he's saying is the Spirit possesses these things. The Spirit is the gift of healing. The Spirit is the gift of faith. The Spirit is the gift of prophecy. And as we worship together who have the Spirit inside of us, the spirit will say hey I want to do this you know Jenny showed us last week at the end of the worship time when she felt like there was a word over here for a couple that's a word of knowledge Jenny doesn't possess the word of knowledge she possesses the spirit and at that moment she felt like the spirit said this in times past you remember Pastor John saying you know I've, I've had this sensation in my back and I feel like somebody here needs a healing in your back that's a gift of healing that operates in a service. This is, we've gotta learn what these things are, how they operate. They're not spooky, they're not weird. There's not like some cloud that envelops us and you, know, you don't have to fall on the ground and shake in order for them to operate. They're just very normal, very personal, and they should be if we're gonna use them out there. And in restaurants and at work, the same gift of healing and the same word of knowledge and the same gift of prophecy should operate there just like it does here. In fact, more so. Because that opens people up to receive the gospel. It's all through the book of Acts. And so that's what we believe. What sets us up apart as a Pentecostal church? We believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we respond to him all the time. We believe this book is our guide for that. So in other words, if I'm sitting here and the Holy Spirit, uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me to go over and pop someone on the mouth, bam! I can tell you that is not the Holy Spirit. Because nowhere in this book does it say to pop them on the mouth. Now I know that some of you are thinking, what about Smith Wigglesworth? Well, when you start punching people and they get healed, then we'll talk about it, okay? But if you're just punching people and they're falling down and getting hurt, that's not okay. So you understand what I'm saying. This book is our guide. It's not weird. It's not scary. I don't know what you've heard or what you've been taught, but it's very normal. It's very practical, and we should embrace it. 
Um, also in your program today, and I don't want to take a lot of time to go through this, but as you heard today in our video announcements, uh, we're going to be offering a first things first class. And if you want to become a member of Huron First, and what a member is, it gives you the, the privilege of voting, helping us uh, elect our, our deacons, helping elect our, our pastor, uh, making decisions for the church as a whole. Um, it also comes with a responsibility, and that's this covenant. Okay, when you decide to be a member of Huron First, what you're saying is you're gonna protect the unity of the church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. You're gonna share the responsibility of the church by praying for its growth, by inviting unchurched people to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit or attend here. You're gonna serve the ministry of the church by discovering your gifts and talents, and you're gonna be equipped to serve by pastors and teachers, and you're gonna develop a servant's heart, and you're gonna support the testimony of the church by living a faithful life, by attending faithfully, living a godly life, tithing regularly, and adhering to the doctrines of our faith. That's all you're signing up for. I know we're asking you to do things that, that are found in the Bible. How dare we? But that's the covenant God's called us into. We're in a body of believers. That's it. No hidden agenda. No hidden motives. And here's the thing. Uh, I don't like watch you and have a checklist and say, well, that person's not refusing to gossip and that one's not. Now, if the Holy Spirit reveals something and I come to you one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, how are things going? Maybe it's, maybe it's a concern. Maybe I can count maybe on one hand the times that that's happened. But I don't know what we're afraid of. So many of us are afraid to become a part of a local body because of stuff we've heard or seen. But what does this book call us to? Does it call us to be a part of a local body? Does it call us to be connected? Does it call us to put aside our fears and our desires? And that's what our hope and our plan is for you. Um, I wanna share with you a couple things that have taken place over the last year. Uh, just kind of celebrate some things that we've done. And so I've, uh, I've got three people that are gonna come today and share a little bit with us. And uh, the first one is Pastor John, and he's gonna come and he's just gonna talk about some of the things in our youth ministry that have taken place over this last year. And uh, he's gonna just share that with you. Hello, check. I love, I love students, teens, children, I love them all. Um, the greatest heroes, uh, the greatest revelation of Jesus to them will always be the parents. So, And so I applaud you guys uh, as a leadership team here at this particular family. We, we partner with you as the primary role of Jesus' influence in their life. So if they, I, I often think, you know, um, uh, you know when you, uh, you know, parenting is so, spiritually it's just so profound. Um, when when, uh, when you have kids, uh, we raise them up to be like Jesus. Uh, Jesus has a father, and we have a father, a spiritual father. And, um, and uh, when we, uh, as we grow up, as, as, they're, as they're maturing, there should be a smooth transition from your kids being underneath you as the father or the mother to the transition of our spiritual father. There should just be a very natural, smooth uh, transition. And so, uh, you know, uh, train a child in the way he should go so that later he would not depart from you. It should, very, it should look smooth. You should parent the same way the father parents. It should just, it should look smooth. So I applaud you guys as the heroes to why we do what we do. Uh, parenting is, it's, um, it's a different level of love. Parenting is just, it's beautiful. Can't explain it. It's, that's one of the experiences that you have to go through to, to, um, appreciate fully. But, um, Youth ministry is amazing. I love it. Uh, 
God has been doing some awesome things. Um, he's working in a, a lot of the students' hearts, but a couple just highlighted testimonies of what God is doing here at our church family. Uh, it, was a, it was a week before youth convention, I just talking to a student, you know, what do you want to do with your life? Where, where are you headed, you know? Uh, and they said, well, I'd like to do something along the lines of law enforcement, you know, not, not a really 100% sure, but I, I want to do something when it comes to, with, with that mentality of you know, helping people and stuff. And so, that's great, man. Wherever you serve, just be light. That's incredible. Uh, but a week later, we went to youth convention, and uh, and uh, I uh, we were, were there having a great time, and um, uh, we go to service, um, and uh, the the speaker is, is talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, and and he and he just says, you know, this is a a gift that the Father wants to give us, and there was two kids. Um, uh, one of the, 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 that kid was there too, but another kid um, that was that said, "I want this gift," and so he just said, "Father, would you give it to me?" And he began to manifest Holy Spirit by speaking in other tongues. And then, um, and then late, later that night, uh, every night at youth convention, there's always there's always a very it's a very gospel centered event. But later that night, every night there's a there's a moment where students can just fellowship and hang out. So we went to the the skating rink, and we're just hanging out, having a good time. Uh, this this year particularly is um, the last year, uh, the first year that I came in. A lot of these students are graduating this year, so some of the some of the older classmen I kind of came in with, they they came into high school as I came into the role as student pastor, and so this year I've really anticipated just a longing to be with them, a longing to hang out, and just every every chance I get to to really cherish every moment because this is it. You know, they're moving on to college, or you know. Wherever, wherever they're heading, they're moving out, out of youth group into, uh, into life. And so um, I went kind of into the skating rink with that mentality. And I get in there, and I'm looking for skates, and I go up to, you know, the counter, can't find any. So I, I'm looking around. All of a sudden, that student who asked, uh, or who asked the Father, Lord, give me the, give me the Holy Spirit, he, um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, uh, one, of the, one of the, he's just started coming, so he's not, uh, he's not a student that I've had the history with, and and he says, "Hey, Pastor John, can I can I just talk to you? Like God just rocked my world, and I have a lot of questions." And so we sat down at the table, and we're begin discussing this conversation that I thought would be you know ten or fifteen minutes, and we started talking. We started talking, and uh, I, as I looked over his shoulder occasionally as he was talking, I'd see all the seniors and the, and really the the people that I really wanted to invest my time in. They're just having a good time, and, and I wanted to be a part of that. And it's not that I didn't want to be with him. It's that when you go into that mentality of like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss the moment of with them, it just, it just causes you to have, your heart, uh, to have a little bit of a heartache for them. And so anyway, I just remember uh, sitting on that table and being like, man, I don't really, like, because I was fighting it. I mean, everyone's like, well, that's terrible feelings to have, naturally, but I, it was a a true inward battle. I'm just being real with you. And, uh, but I stayed present. The, I mean, by the time, by the time the, the event was over, I didn't put skates on. I mean, we just basically talked the entire time and just answered a lot of questions. The next morning, uh, the first student I asked, what do you want to do with your life? Law enforcement, helping people. Uh, he got sick, not feeling great. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, he, he just sat outside of service. And so I got to talk with him a little bit about his future, you know, as law enforcement helping people. He's like, hey, man, what, what do you, what's, is that what you want to do? He's like, yeah, that's, 
that's what I want to do. But you know what? I just, I just realized last night, he's like, last night I was skating and I was going around and around and around and around and I just saw you talking to that other student. I just saw you talking to him nonstop and I just thought to myself, like, what, what better way to spend my entire life helping other students and teens and, and help them in their walk? And, you know, in that moment, you're so humbled. Instantly, you just realize, well, Holy Spirit, thank you for keeping me at that table. But now that student is pursuing calling, uh, a calling of ministry. And um, it, that's, that's, our, that's a, a, a part of our body. That's, that's not my teens. It's not our teens. It's, or it's not my teens or Heather and my teens. But it's, it's our teens. It's our children that we're, that we're um, celebrating with as, as God's calling them. A little bit later that day, he... Uh, uh, the, the student who said he, you know, he's instead of just a calling of doing his own thing, he's like, man, I really want to pursue God and what he wants me to do. He, um, he said, you know, uh, I've been going to your church quite a while and um, I, uh, I just went really for the, the friends and it was like, it's good fellowship. I didn't really believe there was a God, um, but the, the, the day that your son Judah died was the day that I believed for the first time. Because I'd never seen someone that can suffer and, and uh, in the midst of the suffering still declare that God is good and that, that God is still the healer. Um, and, and so in, in the one day that uh, my son died is another day that uh, a son lived. And, and, and Judah's still ministering uh, to others too, my, my second mourn. And so God is doing some amazing things in youth ministry, in the, in, in the, even in the children's department. Every week we have a, I'm sure they did it uh, this week, um, but we have a jar, a see-through jar uh, that we fill full of rocks. Every time they, they get a rock by, every time they pray for someone throughout the week, every time they uh, bring a Bible or bring a friend, they're, they're beginning to think outside of themselves. And uh, I, I have, I mean, um, Pastor Tom is very good for me because he kind of holds me back. I'm so, like, visionary, but he, he helps me think uh, the, the process of what I want to see. Um, he, we're, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome working with him. But what I would love to see is for our children to be our future prayer team. I'd love to see our children be the altar workers. You know, just such great faith wells up in them, and they don't get a lesser amount of God. <laughs> Almighty God lives inside of them. The, God, the Father lives inside of his, his children. And so uh, just... Um, Again, uh, you know, maybe you, you would like to see that too. And I want to encourage you, you know, if you want to serve on the prayer team, if you want to serve in different areas in our church, children and youth, um, uh, there's always positions available. But again, remember, you're the greatest influence of Jesus. Like, if they see you, they should see Jesus. And, and so as you're serving, as you begin to help, as you're doing, and, and you guys just blow my mind how amazing you guys have been. Uh, I've, just, I've just been, Pastor Tom and I, have been rehearsing what some of you guys are doing in the community, and we're just kind of finding out about them. Uh, we're just so blessed to have you guys as family, and it's an honor to serve with you, and so that's my kind of a uh, celebrate with us for our teens. It's awesome. Amen. You know, and we teach, and rightfully so, that when we give money in a missions offering and we support a missionary in another part of the world and souls come into the kingdom, that in heaven we get rewarded as being a part of that. Well, in, in our connection together as the body of Christ, that's not the fruit of his ministry. That's the fruit of our body. Because we're connected, because we're investing, 
And you don't have to actually serve in the youth ministry to be a part of that. That's the joy of being together in the body of Christ. Um, I've asked Mark Apple to come and share, and this year at the, go ahead and come, um, this year at the State Fair, we did an outreach, and I've asked him to come and share a little bit of a testimony about that as well. Was that three or four minutes he had? Uh, Two. <laughs> <laughs> I need something to, something to base it on. I'm not sure what three or four looks like. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter four, he's witnessing to the lady the Samaritan, and he said, uh, he's just telling her about the Lord, and the disciples came back and realized he didn't have any food, and they said, well, did somebody give you something to eat? And he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And there's nothing I want more than just Jesus. I just want to know him more. I just want to touch him more. I, I'm greedy, I guess, in that way. I may be selfish, so sometimes I wonder if my my desire for him just selfish so I can feel good, but uh, I think he kind of likes that type of selfishness. As long, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so I look at myself and I'm thinking, we learn, we learn, I learn, I learn, I learn, I learn, but I don't seem like I'm fishing. I think the Lord has taught me, taught you guys so much for so long, and it comes to a point where it's on-the-job experience. And um, we learn about fishing, and we learn about how to bring people to the Lord, and we learn about how, how to fish, and we learn how to bring people to the Lord, and we continue to learn how to... 30 and 40 years go by, and we're still learning how to bring people to the Lord. But I think the only way to do this type of thing is on the job. That's the way Jesus took his 12 disciples for three years. And so I saw this opportunity last year. It's like, I just haven't been fishing for men. I've been so busy with my job, and it just it's time to get back to work. I know how to fish for men. I know how to disciple people. I've done both. I watch Pastor disciple people. I watch Brittany. I watch Patience. I watch Pastor John, and, and I know that behind the scenes, he's making them, I think. I don't know that he makes them, but I know they get to read books under his authority, and, and he gives them these things to help guide them and to teach them to be what they're becoming. And so I've watched our pastor disciple people and I have seen myself disciple people and I want to get better at it but it all starts with just bringing people to the Lord and I just want to give you guys an opportunity I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of the fair I think some of you heard me say this before but but last year at the fair we just have a little stand there and we hand out tracks and some people sit down we got chairs there and they'll sit down and this one guy sat by Jenny I think is how it happened but he goes what's your story and we're the ones supposed to be witnessing, but he says, what's your story? So she shared that with me, and I thought, well, that's a good way to come on to people. And so somebody sat by me, and I go, what's your story? <laughs> and that means something different to everybody. <laughs> it's like somebody might start at birth, or I was born in Alaska. Somebody else might start at, well, today I was having a really tough day, and I said, I'm just going to fair. And the guy that I asked that to, I can't remember exactly what he said, but totally like, that wasn't what I was asking. <laughs> but he totally gave me his story and, uh, and a different aspect than what I was expecting and found out he lives about three miles from me. But, so that was cool. But uh, we led this, no, we led <laughs> several people to the Lord. And I used to, when I used to disciple people, I realized it takes a lot of hard work to be concerned about somebody for a long time to process and help them process life and get to going forward in the Lord. 
And so when I got, came back and became full-time roofer, I thought, I'm not, I'm not witnessing anymore because you bring them to the Lord and then they get lost. You, you know, it's like a boarding them, I felt like. And, but the last couple of years, I started thinking, you know what, I remember that demoniac. And Jesus brought him, cast out all the 2,000 or so demons. And the, well, the pigs went into the sea. I don't know how many demons there were. But there were 2,000 pigs and they went into the sea. And the guy said, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And, of course, it's okay to follow him. But he said, stay here and tell everybody what happened to you. And so it gave me the, the release in my heart that if somebody's really serious for God and we bring them to the Lord, he'll help them find a place to grow and to be discipled. And so last year, that was probably one of my bigger steps in the last 12 or so years of just getting out and saying, I'm going to start witnessing again. And I just want to present that to you guys that in the fair every year, we're going to witness and we're going to, and we will actually help you to do that. You can watch us do it. Um, I don't know how I do it. It's different with every person, and there are different ways, and I don't want to get into that right now. But, but I mean, you can just ask them, what's your story? And, and you can listen to them. And I know, I know last time, I, I was going down the road shortly before we were to go and present, our, present this at the fair. And I was just going down the road, and the Lord just, just, as you probably have all had those moments where the Lord just descends upon you, and I just started weeping, and, and I just felt like that's not my style, but I had to do what he said because it was so obviously his presence. He said, just go and listen to people. And if that's what we do this year, and that's the main focus, the Lord will give us direction, but maybe that will be the same direction again this year. It's just go and listen to people. Quit being so worried about what they're going to think about you, and just go listen to them. Just listen to their story. So that question that that guy asked, my wife helped me to even get on track to what he said, what he did to me in the car that day, and I just started weeping, it's just like, it's just, just got to listen to people, just got to help them understand that somebody cares enough to listen, you know, and, and if they can find somebody that'll just listen to them, maybe they'll say, I want to know Jesus, so um, I could tell you about if, different individuals, I could tell you that right now I'm witness, I can tell you about, and I'm not going to do it because I only had three or four minutes, but uh, there's a lady just a week or so ago, and I never know how much information to give, but just one of the ladies that I worked for, she's 89 years old, and after we got done, I went to get the check. It took a good hour, probably, to get the check because we started talking about the Lord, and she didn't know the Lord. And, uh, and, and uh, I don't remember. I just kept waiting. She was talking about this and that, and we were talking about the farm and different things, and pretty soon I just, um, I just I'm, I'm always this way. Just so you know, I'm always, if I'm talking to you, I'm probably also talking to Jesus. I'm just saying, okay, Lord, where do I get in? Where do I get in? Where do I get And all of a sudden, there was a place to get in. And then she started talking about, well, I, I know God's real. Because one time I had Mary and Joseph, and, and I just put myself in Mary and Joseph in Jesus' hand, and he took care of her. Now, I can't get into the situation, but he took care of her. And, and, but he, she gave the main glory to God. So, so be um, and I just, uh, and by the time it was over, she has this one arm that won't work quite right. So I, um, I just said, can I pray for you? And I prayed with her. And, and um, she was just so appreciative. I don't hug anybody. And uh, I didn't hug her. <laughs> but she wanted to hug me. <laughs> but it's just me and her. And uh, she's 89, and it wouldn't have mattered. But I didn't do it because it's just something I don't do uh, when I'm alone with another woman. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, if you're waiting and you're listening, and I took time until God showed me a place to get in, that's what we do at the fair. 
If you can't get in, you can't get in. But if you can, you can. It's not a high-pressure thing. It's not a you have to do it or you're going to hell. It's just you actually going out on the harvest field and saying, my meat, my nourishment, my strength, the strength for this body, the strength for these bones, strength for this mind is all because I'm being obedient and I'm going out to win. He, he, last thing he said to his disciples, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what did he say? He wasn't just saying it to them. And he said, and teach them to do everything I taught you. Teach them to observe everything I told you. Teach them to observe everything I commanded you. So this, this church thing gets old. Lavish, even, even personal time with the Lord for me gets old. If I have lavish time and long time, time of devotions with the Lord where I can just try to experience his presence, but I don't go out and be obedient, that lavish time isn't lavish anymore. It's got to be balanced with going out where he's going and doing what he's doing. And I just want to give you guys an opportunity at the fair to watch us do it, my wife and I and whoever else. There might be a couple others. And I would like at least three people every so many hours. We commit to how many hours? I can never remember. I don't know. We commit to so many hours a day. And we do that. And if one person can watch the tent and watch the, the tracks we give out and the other two people can go out and about a little more, that would be even better. So I want... I would like like three people every four to eight hours would just commit and not, there won't be any pressure on you. All you got to do is watch. If nothing you do, if you do nothing else but watch Jenny and I or whoever else is there, you did something. You stepped out a little farther than you stepped out before. And I just want to encourage you guys to say, hey, I want to try to do that great commandment. It's a pretty great commandment. Let's try doing that great commandment. Start just taking little steps out. It might take two or three years, but you got to start somewhere. And uh, there is no thrill greater in my heart than after I've witnessed an 89-year-old lady who might die tomorrow or after I've witnessed to a teenager that gives their life to the Lord or like at the fair and I witnessed to these several teenagers and a couple of young ladies, they were probably only 12 or 13, and they come back the next day and said, we did what you said. No, that was, those two just did it right there and they were so happy. <laughs> we did it, you know, they just felt his presence. And then the other gal, she must have been like 15 maybe, and she come back the next day because I, 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 I really encourage them, you don't have to do this here. If you really mean it, you really want to do it, you can do it at home. So she comes back the next day, I did what you told me. I said, what? I had forgotten what I told her to do. And she, she said, I gave my life to Jesus. And she was all excited about it. And there's a young man that his grandpa takes to church. And, and, and you know, there was, and there's this lady, I think she's from Colombia or Brazil. And I paid, I'm sure, over 100 bucks to witness to her. And I always, you know, later on, I, I, I kicked myself a little bit and I said, but then it all of a sudden, no, Jesus paid a much higher price than that. But I told her, she was just on my heart. So my wife and I sat down to buy one of her products one day because I told her, I said, I said, I will buy. I said, you don't even have to tell me about it. I said, I'll buy whatever you got if I get to talk to you about the Lord first. And so about three days later, it's so like the last day of the fair, I'm saying, okay, lady, I'm going to talk to you. And then ended up, she had totally the same background as me. I have old-time certain religion background, and she had the same thing. And it was steeped in a lot of working my way to heaven, and a lot of, and, her, and she's just going to go see her grandma down in either Brazil or Colombia, where it's even different, and it's much more involved uh, as far as just trying to work your way to heaven, and, and not ever measuring up, and never quite being good enough, and, and maybe having to pay the price for your sins for many, 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 many years. And I was able to just relate, and she just really opened up and really wanted that. And she was afraid because her grandma's going to be mad at her. And it just, whatever it takes, I want to witness somebody. I want to obey the great commandment. 
even if it cost me my life, Jesus said that was the deal we was making. So anyway, I, I definitely got to quit because I'm trying to be fast and I, I can't get everything in. So. Hi, my name is Kathy and I am the assistant director of the James River Royal Family Kids Camp. And my name is Christy. I am the director of the camp. James River Royal Family Kids Camp is a week-long opportunity for children in foster care to come to camp for a week to feel loved and learn about God. We are planting that seed within their hearts. This year we hope to host 24 children ages 6 to 12 from the Beetle, Spink, Hand, Falk, Gerald, and Sanborn counties. These children usually don't go to camp. They are no longer with their biological families due to abuse, abandonment, or neglect. They are now living with foster families. This past summer, we had 19 children at camp who were soaking up all the love from our 43 volunteers we brought along. Like all children, they need routine and structure. We start the day with breakfast club and story time. Then they have the opportunity to choose from an activity center such as the Arts and Crafts Center, sporting activity, or the special activity of the day such as cheer and dance or taekwondo. Choices are especially important to this group of kids because usually their decisions are made for them. They also get to make choices during free time to do activities like woodworking or fishing. Before lunch, we have chapel time. The kids love the water. Afternoons are usually spent swimming in the lake, canoeing, or paddle boating. The evenings are filled with fun activities too. Our theme this past year was Royal Olympics. Monday night, we had an opening ceremony with a parade and wacky games. Tuesday night was water fun night. We had water inflatables, a huge slip and slide, boats and two brides, and even a barbecue on the lakefront. Wednesday night was messy game night. The final night and most special is everyone's birthday party. Their faces light up when they see the room is decorated just for them. It's an awesome night watching them celebrate. These kids can now say they are loved. If they're not loved at home, they can say they are loved at camp. My name is Marissa and I was at camp as a guide. Um, we went as a family ministry last summer. My name is Bob and I was Fisherman Bob and I was in the skit also. My name was Luke and I was a guide in training. As a guide, I had the opportunity to love two little girls for a week. At RFK, we are able to show these kids love that real love that they've never seen before, unconditional love from us and also through the love that God has for us. At camp, uh, I got to be Fisherman Bob, and that's, I love fishing and given the opportunity to show young people how to fish and bait a hook and catch a fish and just see the look in their eyes when that catfish comes out of the water. It's, it's awesome. And then being in a skit is something that is something I really wouldn't do normally. And then to actually show up at the birthday party in costume, doing the chicken dance is way out of the norm. My name is Angie, and this past summer at Royal Family Kids Camp, I was a guide, which means that I worked very closely with two young girls. I found myself doing things that I never imagined I would do. I had a wonderful time having a water gun fight with the girls. Um, we were covered head to toe with paint and foam and whipped cream and 
all kinds of crazy things. And I found myself completely lost in the joy. And it was amazing to watch the campers go from being tentative observers at the beginning of the week to active participants by the end, totally involved in the storyline, participating in the song, singing with hands raised, praising God. You could not help smiling at the pure joy and the precious innocence all around you. Genuine worship. If you are considering or feeling a tug on your heart that maybe serving for a week at a royal family kids camp might be something that God is calling you to do, I just strongly encourage you to give it a try. You go into it thinking that you're going to impact these children, and you do. And you make a difference and you change lives, but they change you. My name is Ginny, and I helped in the kitchen at the RFK camp last year. Uh, when RFK came up, uh, it was the right fit for me. I could love the kids. The kitchen helpers are great, and they're there because they love children, and uh, they want to make this the best experience these kids have ever had. My name is Israel, and I was a guide for RFK this last summer. You don't, you don't know, you don't really feel like you're making an impact until halfway through the week when you've gotten to know them and you start to hear their prayer requests of, can my parents treat us better? Can our parents, you know, not be on drugs or alcohol? Can that, can we have money to, to have food and to just basically live life? And some of those things that we would regularly take for granted, they were beginning to open up more about what, what they wanted and needed in their lives. Hi, I'm Tom, and this year at Royal Family Kids Camp, I was the Dean of Men, and so I worked with all of the guides to help them have a successful week. I also got to serve as uncle at camp this year, and so at night, uh, Christy and I would go into the cabin with the girls and read them a bedtime story and tuck them in and just give them an opportunity to share prayer requests. Royal Family Kids Camp is really a community effort, and needs a lot of people to be involved for to be successful. We need people who will pray, uh, people who will financially support the camp, and people who will serve as volunteers. We are asking for one week out of one year to come to show these kids God's love. We are praying we can bring more kids to camp this year because just one week a year can change the life of a child. If you question your purpose in life and where you need to be, this is an opportunity for you to find your purpose. Royal Family Kids Camp, we did, um, we had our first year last year and we are planning um, the next week of camp for this summer, July 10th through the 14th. There are um, applications on the back table and I have more here. Um, if we run out, more done. We do need we need about 40 to 50 people that will commit to serving a week for these kiddos. Um, we have a place for you. There's all kinds of jobs from kitchen to fisherman Bob, um, dean of men, a guide that works closely with them. So if you have any questions or want information, um, let me know. I'm here for you. And so that's just a sampling of the things that have taken place over this last year. Um, I could tell you stories of the Wednesday night Awana kids and how excited they are to be studying and memorizing the Bible. One of the things that uh, I have enjoyed this past year is uh, different times during the week, different people come in and clean different parts of the building. 
and uh, Karen comes in every week, and she's not here today, but uh, cleans every bathroom in this building every single week, and uh, people who vacuum the, the foyer and um, clean the, the worship center here and the youth center and the offices, and um, I was here yesterday and told Ashley, man, she's got such an amazing husband, because Shane is like the best window cleaner I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I look at them, and I think, I can't even find a streak, and, um, but to see them taking ownership in it and pride in it in something as simple as cleaning the building and hearing stories of the ways that people are serving out in our community. And all of that is a part of all of us because we are the body of Christ here. And here's the thing that I want us to learn and know, and I, I know that we're a little over time and I'm, I'm wrapping it up, but um, there's another body over here because one of the things I'd wrestled with is, um, you know, as a church, the programs that we do, the RFK, the youth ministry, the Awana, uh, all of these things, plus one guidance center that we're partnering with, and you know we store some of their stuff for them, and uh, we're, we're partnering with them in a fundraiser. Those, I used to say it this way, well, RFK is an arm of the church, but it really isn't. RFK is a tool in the hand of the church. Every ministry that we do, whether it's uh, something we do in the building or something that's done out of the building, child of Islam, fellowship we can partner with, youth ministry, they're all tools. This is, what's, this is what's important. And making disciples of other people. And there are all kinds of tools we can put in our hands to use. And so if someday we decide that RFK is no longer being effective to do what we're called to do, we get rid of it. If youth ministry or children's ministry or women's ministry, or, and, and here's what I've seen over the years, we start to fall in love with our tools. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right, men? Wives, ask your husbands. And so we'll keep an old tool because we love that thing, even though there might be a more effective tool we could use, but we love that tool. Our culture's not receiving that tool, but we love that tool. We want to keep that tool. And this is why churches die and cease to exist because we are too afraid to drop our tools to do what's going to reach the people outside these doors. Those of us in this room are on our way to heaven. Praise God. What's our process for taking a new baby and developing them into a mature adult. Because you know what Jesus said? Make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey everything I've deserved, or I've taught. As a church, as leaders, what we have to say is, what's our plan to take a new baby, a new believer, and see them become a mature follower of Christ? If you wanna be a foster parent, you have to file, out, file paperwork and attend classes and have seminars and inspections before they ever put a child in your care. And sometimes I wonder if the God of heaven looks down at us when we say, oh Lord, give us souls, give us souls. And he's like, you ain't ready for a child. What are you gonna do with them? What? I mean, if I brought you a new baby today, how do I know that you're gonna, you've got a plan to get them from zero to, to maturity? And that's what we're gonna be doing in the body of Christ. That's why we say, is this tool helping us disciple people? If it's not helping us, that's why missions is more than just flags on a wall. It's about evangelizing and discipling people out there. That's why we want our children and teenagers being a part of the prayer team and the worship team, not waiting till they grow up because by the time they're 18, they've already decided. 
And it's not our job as a church body to raise your kids. It's your job, and we want to come alongside you and help you do it. We don't want to just do it for you. We want to partner with you. And is what we're doing helping that, or is it hurting that? And those are the types of questions that we're starting to ask. Those are the questions that we're going to be asking. Because in the past, what we've done as a pastor, this is what I've done. I came to this church, and here's the programs that we do. Okay, so now my job is to find people to fit those programs. And those programs are going to disciple people. And then those people will become discipled and mature and do the work of the kingdom. Can I tell you something? That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because programs don't disciple people. People disciple people. And it's time for us, instead of being program-based, to say, what's our, what's our plan? What does God have for us as a body? How does he want us to develop mature disciples? What does he bring us? And how can we use what he's brought us to make disciples, to evangelize and make disciples? People making disciples. Every one of you in this room in the next year, if we are a true follower of Jesus, every one of us should have someone we're discipling. Wow, that's a strong statement. If we are truly followers of Jesus, you and I, we should be discipling someone. And I don't know if we've helped you do that, but we're going to start. See, there are other churches in town, and if Shane and Ashley did a great job of making these bodies, and I would have had them make like 30 others, because what do we do with other churches? How do we work with them? Some of you go to Bible studies in other churches or you serve in ministries alongside people from other churches and, that, and that's great because as a body, we can't do everything. And somebody may come to me once sometime, Pastor Tom, I'm involved in this ministry and uh, I'd like to take a special offering for him and do you know what I might say? I, I'm sorry, we can't. Not because that's not a valid ministry but that's not who we are as a body. We've gotta know who we are so we can do it because here's the thing, every church in this town, we all do the same stuff. Maybe that's not God's plan. Maybe God's plan is for Bethesda every summer to have Super Summer Slam, where they're in parks all over the city, and some of you have worked with them and evangelized with them and helped them. Great, we don't need to do that. They're doing that. What about, what if people work on Sunday morning? Where do they go to church? Well, they just can't. Because for us, it's better to meet. Maybe God's calling us to meet at a different, whoa, different time. But who are we as a body? What's God called us to do? What's our place in this community? And that's what we're gonna be doing in the year ahead. I believe God's put in my heart for us to be a training center, to teach people how to do ministry, whether that means full-time vocational ministry or that means ministry just within your local context as you work a secular job. That's what he's called us to do. I believe God's called us to plant churches. Yeah, us. And some of you are like, well, how can a small group of people like this plant a church? But here's the thing. If God calls us to do it, small or mighty, if God is with us, it'll happen. And we sit back and we wait until we have enough people, enough money, enough this, enough that to do what God's called us to do instead of saying, God, what have you called us to do? And let's do it because if the Lord's with us, he'll help us. And, and let's stop saying you know, that's pretty good for a church our size. Because it's really not about us. 
We want his vision for our church. Who cares if it's pretty good for a church our size? We have a God that's way bigger than that. And so we're gonna start dreaming, we're gonna start listening, and we're gonna start hearing what God has to say, and we're gonna make a difference in this city. My dream is that every person in this city would know if we closed our doors. And I wonder today, if we ceased to exist and never met again as Huron first, how many people in this city would know? And if it's not more than half, we're doing something wrong. They've gotta know we're here, not for us, but for him and for them. And so I wanna invite you to stand with me. I know we went a little long. I know we covered a lot of of ground with you, um, but that's our heart and that's what I believe God is calling us to do. And if you resonate with that, if that's something that's in your spirit and you're like, yes, Pastor Tom, I know God has brought me here. I know that he has called me to this body. Then I'm gonna challenge you. It's time to engage in this body. And if that doesn't resonate in who you are, if you say, well, you know, that's really not who I am. Here's the thing, we're not gonna change. This is who God's called us to be. And this is who we're gonna be. And wherever you decide that God calls you, my challenge to you is engage in that body. Because you've not been called to sit in a pew on Sunday morning and take stuff in. You have been called to serve, engage, to be a part of a body of Christ, building his kingdom in a community. And so I challenge you to do it. And so, Father, I pray that you would put these things in our hearts. God, I thank you that your word says you have put together the body in a way that you see fit. And I thank you that you have brought each of us into this body as you see fit. You've called us here. You've put us here. And God, we want to hear you. We wanna know why you've put us here. We wanna know as a, a corporate body why you've put us in this city. God, what needs in this city have you called us to meet? How have you called us to engage this community and build your kingdom? Help us to know our place, our part. Help us to hear your vision for this body. God, because we know if you call us to do it, you'll empower us to do it. You'll supply the funds to do it. You'll do the work. God, we just need to trust you. I pray for continued unity among our leaders. God, that you'd bring us together in one heart, one mind, that we would know and set direction for this body. I pray for this entire body. God, every part that you've called into this body, no matter how small it may seem or feel, God, to know the significant contribution that each of us makes to this entire body. Help us to learn how to be connected. Help us to learn how to to encourage one another, strengthen one another. God, to care for one another. Help us to be the church in this city that that sets that biblical standard for other churches to follow. God, not to make a a name for ourselves, but God, to to know you and your kingdom more. And so God, build your church here at Huron First. Build your church here in Huron, in South Dakota, in the United States, in every part of this world. Use us to be a part of it, I pray, in Jesus' name. God, I pray for this body now that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, that you would give them peace. I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Our women's lunch is prepared. It's ready. If you're planning to stay, and even if you're not planning to stay, stay anyway. Um, The lunch is in the the, uh, fellowship hall, and then we'll meet in the fireside.